morning, and welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin's online worship service, where we gather virtually and in spirit each Sunday morning during this time where we cannot yet gather together in person again. We are a spirited and spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I welcome each of you this morning. I especially want to welcome our visitors. If you're new to the church, please, if you have the ability, say hello in the comments and let us know from where you're visiting. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. Let's connect those divine sparks now, either by greeting each other in the comments or simply sensing the heartstring connections that bind us together. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. wrote a mission and it guides the leadership of this church and me and Reverend Chris 
as we lead the church forward into the future together. We wrote it on the wall of our sanctuary because we really like it, and we like saying it together. Please say it with me. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Each week, to explore more deeply what we mean by that term, beloved community, and the challenges we may face in pursuing it, we've been having a moment for beloved community. This week, I want to tell you about something that happened right here in Austin on the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Someone left a bloodied pig's head in front of a local mosque with the message on a sign, You are unclean to God as a pig is to you. Have your idolatry washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's think a little bit about how hurtful that must have felt and how terrifying it might be to find something like that in front of our church. Good morning. Today we're talking about resilience, which is a long word that can mean how do we feel better after something scary or hard happens. There are lots of ways that our faith teaches us to be resilient, and one of them is through our first UU source, which is direct experience of transcendent mystery and wonder that teaches us about life. Now, that's a lot, that's kind of a lot to say. So for me, that would mean when I'm feeling sad or lonely or scared, I might go to the woods and I might look for a bush that has new berries on it that weren't there last week. I might look in the creek to see if the tadpoles have new legs. I would look around me for all the signs of life that are continuing to go on. No matter what hard or scary things are happening in my life, I can see that life is there continuing to do wonderful and amazing things. And I can just be amazed by that. And that can help me to start to feel better and to feel more resilient. The character in today's story that we're going to read, I think, does a really good job of using our first UU source to help him find resilience. Let's see what other things he uses to help him feel better after the worst thing could happen. Swimmy by Leo Liani. A happy school of little fish lived in a corner of the sea somewhere. They were all red. Only one of them was as black as a mussel shell. He swam faster than his siblings. His name was Swimmy. One bad day, a tuna fish, swift, fierce, and very hungry, came darting through the waves. In one gulp, he swallowed all the little red fish. Only Swimmy escaped. He swam away in the deep, wet world. He was scared, lonely, and very sad. But the sea was full of wonderful creatures, and as he swam from marvel to marvel, Swimmy was happy again. He saw a Medusa made of rainbow jelly, a lobster who walked about like a water-moving machine, strange fish pulled by an invisible thread, a forest of seaweeds growing from sugar candy rocks, an eel whose tail was almost too far away to remember. And sea anemones, who looked like pink palm trees swaying in the wind. Then, hidden in the dark shade of rocks and weeds, he saw a school of little fish, just like his own. 
Let's go and swim and play and see things, he said happily. We can't, said the little red fish. The big fish will eat us all. But you can't just lie there, said Swimmy. We must think of something. Swimmy thought and thought and thought. Then suddenly he said, I had it. We are going to swim all together like the biggest fish in the sea. He taught them to swim close together, each in his own place. And when they had learned to swim like one giant fish, he said, I'll be the eye. And so they swam in the cool morning water and in the midday sun and chased the big fish away. Jose N. Harris is a Mexican-American neuropsychologist, family law mediator, adoption and foster system activist, and author. His works are Mi Vida, a story of faith, hope, and love, and Undeclared Wars, Central America in the 1980s. He wrote, There comes a time in your life when you walk away from all the drama and the people who create it. You surround yourself with people who make you laugh. Forget the bad and focus on the good. Love the people who treat you right. Pray for the ones who do not. Life is too short to be anything but happy. Falling down is a part of life. Getting back up is living. Let us enter now into an attitude of meditation and prayer where we speak to God as we understand God or listen to God as we understand God or just listen to our inner wisdom which is always speaking to us from within or just watch our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies will you please enter into this attitude of meditation and prayer with me and let us breathe together May we find compassion. May we find clarity. May we find belonging. And may we find resilience here in the wise silence. You are now invited to light candles of joy or sorrow, hope, memory, or determination.
think that the point is to pass the test or overcome the problem. But the truth is that things don't really get solved. They come together and they fall apart. Then they come together again and fall apart again. It's just like that. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief, for relief, for misery, for joy. Pema Chodron. Merriam-Webster defines resilience as an ability to recover from or adjust to misfortune or change. Our topic this morning is resilience. First, however, I have a few confessions to make. The first is that I'm no expert on resilience, so I hope sharing with you just a little about what resilience means to me and some places I find it might prove helpful. Second, that Merriam-Webster definition kind of pisses me off because it so inadequately, terribly inadequately, describes the kind of ongoing resilience we've all had to muster over these many, many months. Finally, sometimes rather than trying to keep being resilient, I just want to throw a childlike temper tantrum instead. And maybe that's okay. Maybe the occasional temper tantrum is actually a part of remaining resilient, as long as it's not aimed at someone else, unless they richly deserve it, and even then, maybe not so useful. But maybe wailing, throwing ourselves on the sofa, and pounding on the cushions might be helpful every now and again. And like with that, I've had to rethink how I conceptualize resilience in other ways over time. For instance, I've had to let go of the idea that resilience means being able to remain as productive as I was in the before times. It's not realistic. And my old productivity standards likely grew out of a capitalistic system designed to benefit the wealthy anyway. My spouse, Wayne, says that we were never meant to work at the pace or work the number of hours we had come to expect of ourselves. And he's a doctor. So there, to the capitalistic wealth inequality system mongers, to remain resilience, resilient, I've had to learn to accept that I may make more mistakes than before. I may need more rest and breaks than before. There may be times when all I can do is what absolutely has to get done. And when that hasn't even seemed possible, I've had to get better at asking for help. In short, I've had to learn that right now at least, resilience doesn't mean being able to live the same or be the same as before. Sometimes it just means making it through. There is so much we do not control. As our reading earlier puts it, things come together and they fall apart again and again. Some part of resilience, then, is to be found in letting go, allowing the grief, sorrow, anger, joy, amusement, amazement, and other feelings to come. Whatever agency I have lies not in being able to control the coming together and falling apart, but instead in how I respond to it. And the things that helped ground me in the before times are vital sources of resilience for me now. Spiritual practices, 
exercise and working out, a purposeful change in routine from time to time, hiking in nature or through a local neighborhood where I can notice parts of my city that I used to just drive right past, where I can safely interact with folks who are out and about too. At least when it's not been blazingly hot or, conversely, eight degrees with several inches of snow on the ground. Remembering that even in difficult times, I can still find humor, fun, beauty, joy. In fact, they're among the keys to unlocking resilience. And I think most importantly, I draw resilience from relationship. I find comfort in knowing that I am not alone, even in these times when I can't be together in person with so many folks with whom I would love to gather. I find a calmness, even during these challenging times, through supporting others and allowing myself to be supported by others. Feeling love and knowing that I am loved Help me make it through. I think this may be our purpose as humans, whether things are coming together or falling apart. Anna Skates, a Southern divinity student, writes this. Resilience doesn't come from difficulty. It comes from being cared for during difficulty. I remember having a painful earache when I was in about the second grade. My mother was a teacher, and so she had to be gone all day. We lived upstairs from my grandparents, but I don't remember anyone checking in on me or anyone offering me anything for the pain. And I remember just rolling from side to side with the pain of this earache and feeling like nobody was there for me. It wasn't that they didn't love me. It's just that it doesn't occur to people in my family to be tender when someone is sick. That's how I was raised. If you're sick, it's kind of your fault. You did something. And um, they're not mean. It's just that they figure what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? You should be adaptable. You should be able to endure. So resilience comes from toughing it out through an illness or through the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or through a mean boss or mean co-workers or mean kids at school? Does it mean that you just tough it out if you're ill? Well, if you're a firstborn Virgo child, you just accept that you tough it out by yourself. It took me a long time to unlearn that. Imagine my astonishment when I was reading about resilience this week to find a story of a surfer who was out in the waves and there was another surfer that was inside on the same wave and suddenly he uh, panicked this surfer that he was watching panicked, started sinking and he came up and said "My leash, the leash is wrapped around my legs and he was just in his absolute reptile panic brain and our guy who was telling the story he said he went he he got on his board and paddled over to the guy and he said i'm here i'm going to get you untangled it's going to be okay and he got him untangled saw the panic leave the other surfer's face 
as soon as he said, I'm here, it's going to be okay. And he said he knew to do that because some years before he had been surfing and he'd been bashed up against a piling and had heard his uh, collarbone snap. And he went into full-blown panic and just paddled with his one good arm till he got back to the sand and lay on it just exhausted and terrified. And a man ran up to him and said, I'm an EMT. It's going to be okay. I'm here. And he said that the co-regulation of their nervous systems, when you're in panic mode and you have someone come up to you who is not in panic mode, who says, I'm here, the most wonderful, magical, powerful words that there are. Somebody needs to be there. Maybe it's you. Joy collected over time fuels resilience, ensuring we'll have reservoirs of emotional strength when hard things do happen. Brene Brown. Earlier, I mentioned that relationship is a vital part of what sustains me these days. I'd like to close by describing some of those relationships. Though, of course, I only have a direct relationship with a few of them, the medical folks on the front lines of providing care for people with COVID touch my heart. I don't know how they, or if you number among them, how you keep doing it. I suspect I could learn a lot about resilience from you. I feel the very same about the overwhelmed folks trying to provide counseling to a traumatized world. Of course, my relationships with my spouse, Wayne, and our two outrageously loving and terribly spoiled Basenji dogs lift me up every day. I draw strength from family and other loved ones. My relationship with Meg is such a blessing. If you're going to have a supervisor, she's the one. And we have also become wonderful ministerial colleagues and friends. I can entrust her with both the painful and difficult parts of my life, as well as the great joys, as she can with me. Our incredible staff here at the church inspire me. The hard work and love they have poured into keeping this church going is one of my sources of joy these days. And you all who have continued to actively participate in and support this religious community are a great source of resilience for me. You have stayed with the church and each other through these long, long months. Serving this religious community is a large part of what sustains me and helps keep me going through even the most difficult of times. Helping each other. Loving each other. These are what pull us onward. Even during the hardest of times, these are where we find that the holy is still here for us. My ordinary resilience helpers are going out to eat in a restaurant and going to the movies, neither one of which has been available to me for the last 18 months. 
I'm in a terrible state. I loved hearing Chris talk about wanting to just throw a tantrum because I don't want to be resilient anymore. I'm tired of being resilient, but I don't know what the alternative is. I really can't imagine it. So we just keep going and we keep being resilient. It's been a lifesaver this past year to talk to you all in the hangouts with the ministers and one-to-one talking to you when we finally are able to gather outside and to meet with Chris and with Kelly and with Bear. This staff, as Chris said, have been the power that's kept us going. I know that you all know how wonderful Chris is, but I'm not sure you know how exactly wonderful Chris is because, you know, it's great to have a colleague that you don't have to be strong for. And I don't have to be strong for him, and we can be vulnerable together, and it's somehow strengthening. It's a mystery, but I appreciate it so much. We show up for each other. The same with Kelly, the same with Bear. I I think a lot about a story that I was told when I was being trained in hospital chaplaincy, which you have to do if you want to be a minister. And our supervisor told us about the Bataan Death March and how there was an elderly priest who was falling farther and farther behind and farther behind. And one of the younger men started walking next to him. And instead of cheering him on, instead of saying, you can do it, come on, you can do this, he was sad and vulnerable with the older man. He said, when the older man said, I'm not sure I can do this anymore, he said, I know, I'm not sure I can do it anymore either. And they would walk a little bit farther. And the older man just said, I'm really tired and my feet hurt. I don't think I can make it. And the younger man said, I'm in pain too. My hip really hurts. I don't think I can make this either. And my supervisor said they both made it to the end. He was trying to tell us that presence was what is required. When someone is in trouble, presence is the best gift that you can give to people. And I know that many of you all are giving that to one another. There are groups of you who gather. There are groups of you who call on the phone. There are those of you who are being vulnerable with each other. And I'm here to tell you, if you say, I don't know what to say to this person who's in trouble, that's fine. You don't know what to say, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, There's nothing to say sometimes. Just being present. We can do that for each other. We can say to each other, I'm here. Let there now be an offering to support the mission and ministry of this church during these challenging times. If you scroll up on Facebook or go to austinuu.org, you'll see a link that will take you to our secure online contributions page. You may also mail contributions to the church. It's 4700 Grover Avenue, Austin, Texas, 78756. We are gratefully checking the mail and making deposits each week. 
we extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Now, as we near the end of our service, may you find the sources of resilience for you. My wish is that that may contain joy and much peace. I send you much love. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.